Good morning, beloved church. Can you just turn, just turn around. There's someone in the room you need to hear that you are beloved by God. So just turn, give them a poke. It might feel fun in the moment, but someone is going to be mightily blessed through this one. Just a prophetic act now. Turn around to someone and just say you are beloved by God. We don't know when we speak words of life over people, do we? I'm believing that someone just needed to know. If you're online, uh, may God continue to bless you uh, wherever you are, whether it's live at the moment or on Catch Up Later. We love you. We're for you. Uh, we think of you every week, even though you're not in the room. May God continue to move amongst you. As he is moving amongst us here, he is well able to do that. Just to one quick reminder, on the 27th, uh, Monday the 27th of February, we've got a church membership meeting. So if you're a member of the church, we invite everyone to come in. We're going to give you an update on some staff changes that have been happening, an update on the finances, what's going on the venues here at JMA and the offices, uh, some changes that are happening on our local mission, some equip events, equipping events later on in the year, and an opportunity for Q&A. So if you're a member of the church, or you're expecting to become a member of the church, please come along on that uh, evening. That's where we give an account. We're trying to be transparent. And it's not easy to ask questions on a Sunday morning or to be around some of the leadership team of the church. So that evening is designed to do that. Is that all good? Uh, This morning, we're continuing in our sermon series uh, in the book of Titus. And uh, just if we could flick the map up just to help some of us whose geography is a little bit weak. Uh, we've been thinking a little bit more about this part of the world this week. So Antioch up there, that's more towards the, the center of the earthquakes. But we're looking at Crete right in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And Titus is set in around AD 63. And to make sense and to get some of the strength of the verses we read... We need to understand the context to which this letter was written into. Now, before the Romans conquered Crete in BC 67, so 67 years before Christ was born, the Romans finally took the island of Crete. Before that, it was a federation. There's like 20-odd towns there, and they would gang up together, and they were constantly warring and fighting against one another. In fact, a historian said the reason Crete fell is because the 20 towns couldn't get their act together for long enough in order to mount a sustained resistance to Roman invasion. So that was the history of what was going on there. And so then... We join the story in AD 63, 130 years after the Roman conquest, we join the story. Now, 130 years is a long time to build a deep resentment to oppression, occupation, taxes that all gained to serve Rome and not you. That's 130 years of deep-seated, family-built-in feuds on top of the historical feuds you already had with existing towns that you've been warring against for centuries. And bloodlines and feuds run deep, even when there's a common enemy against you. Remove the enemy, you fight each other. 
So that's the context that the book of Titus was written into. So when Paul and his team are church planting, and now Titus is reading this letter to these young churches that have been established in Crete, that's in the background. And we need to be reminded of that because we're going to look at two verses this morning, and the radical nature of those could be lost to us if you're unaware of the history of Crete. I like history, and I like geography. But if you don't have that understanding, you'll miss some of the richness, the depth, and the radical call that the gospel has on people. All good? Let's move on. So we're going to read from Titus 3, 1 to 2. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy ride in Jesus' name. Here we go. This is what Titus is supposed to do to the local churches. Remind them... To be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy towards all people. The Brits love that. P's and Q's. Say your P's and Q's in church. It's a little bit more than saying please and thank you. Perfect courtesy towards all people. It's going to be a bumpy ride for us in Jesus' name because he is building mature disciples of Christ here in Reading. So let's look at the verse of those. We're going to work our way through it fairly quickly and I'm going to put some application to us this morning. Titus was to remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, that they were to be obedient, that they were to be ready for every good work. One of the things Titus was to do was to remind them of what has already been said. Uh, He was to remind them of what you might argue like the forgotten truths that may have been lost a year on, two years on, we don't know. Titus to make no apologies to say, What I'm going to tell you now, you've heard this all before. Well, preachers love that. So actually, whatever I'm saying this morning, if you've heard it all before, I'm doing my job well. That is the point of this. You see, see, for Christians, a bad memory, we see this in the Bible, a bad memory is a main reason that God's people lose their way. We see that all through Scripture. Uh, we, We think, now you've told me that already, I've got it. No, we need to be constantly reminded Titus's job was to make old truths new and to make stale truth fresh. That's the job of preaching. That's what Titus is to do. He is to remind these Cretans that they've got a duty to be submissive and obedient to their colonial rulers and authorities in Rome. And Paul had already told them that. And he knew that that was going to be hard to receive. That's going to be hard to be palatable. So we remind him, you've got to remind them, Titus. I'm guessing it reflects Paul's teaching in Romans 13. Has anyone read Romans 13 this week? I know David has, who's leading our youth. He said, I've read it, Sean. Romans 13, Paul has this extended period when he's telling them to submit to the state's authority Because it's been delegated to the state by God himself. Let me read you Romans 13.1. 
Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. And Paul in Romans 13 goes on to say, so pay your taxes, pay your revenues, give honor, and give respect. That's kind of Romans 13, briefly summarized. And Paul is picking up this is Titus. You've got to remind them of that. That Christians, you need to be more than just law-abiding citizens. You do need to be that. But you also need to be eager to do that. And not reluctant. In fact, you've got to be ready for every good work whenever that is possible. You see, Christ followers, and that I guess would be us, but... In, in Crete, and they were thinking in this case, Christ followers are supposed to be model citizens, embracing their civil responsibilities enthusiastically. And he's writing this to the Cretans, who had a reputation of being evil priests, you know, lazy gluttons, always liars. And you need to be model citizens for the glory of God. Then in verse 2, he carries on. And he is to remind them to speak evil of no one. To avoid quarreling. To be gentle. To show perfect courtesy to all people. What he's saying to them is, he's trying to remind them, this is how you're supposed to be as a community. You're supposed to be distinctly different from the culture around you. You're to speak evil of no one, even the Roman oppressors and their tax collectors and their representatives of their authorities and those who seem to be collaborating with the Romans. I mean, this culture had baked-in frustrations. You do see that, don't you? They've got these baked-in frustrations. And each time you saw a Roman soldier, each time you got engaged with Roman administration, each time you encountered a symbol of their oppression, now whether it's their shrines everywhere or other Roman things, they were not to speak evil of that. They were to avoid quarrels. And realize they, they, they were known for infighting between cities. So they were to avoid quarrels, presumably over things like fishing rights, or access to water, or the prices in the markets. If you weren't able to travel to other towns, you were stuck in your market. Boundary disputes. I mean, they, they were normal people like Who's ever been involved in a boundary dispute with their neighbor? No one in the room, you're so godly. Yeah, it goes on. I mean, there, there are clan feuds on Crete. I mean, you, you, you've got to engage and see what's going on here. And into all this, they're to be reminded they're supposed to be careful in their speech. They were supposed to be incredibly tolerant of, of not just the next town, but also their oppressors in Rome and all the trappings of that. These warring people were supposed to be not aggressive and quick, quick to show humility. They were to display something like a Christ-like courtesy. And when this word courteous or courtesy, its root meaning is all about meekness. 
And one of the definitions I like about meekness, it's, it's strength under control. So if you poked a Cretan Christian, the strength they may or may not have is supposed to be under control and they show perfect courtesy to all those around them. Because people quickly figure out if they can get something over on you. And in all of that, you're supposed to show perfect courtesy. And Cretans, I want to say it one last time, they had a reputation for being liars and evil beasts and lazy gluttons. But the Cretan church is to be very different. It is to be submissive. It is to be gentle. It is to be courteous to all. If you don't understand the history and the context, the strength and weight of these verses are lost to us. So what does this mean, therefore, for us here in Reading today? What does this mean? Well, as I'm wrestling and I'm working this through, the obvious thing is to say, I've got to remind myself, I've got to remind us that we are to be submissive and obedient to those that God, God has put in authority over us. We've got to be submissive, we've got to be obedient to those that God has put in authority over us. We are supposed to pay our taxes. We're supposed to pay our BBC license, not just click, yeah, I've got one, and follow on through. Annoyingly, we're supposed to keep to the speed limits. Annoyingly more for us Brits, at least, to speak well of those who are in authority over us, even those government figures and ministers and agencies that seem to be at best buffoons, at worst. I'm just saying I'm not supposed to say that. How they present, I'm thinking, this is real. These are not platitudes. We're supposed to be distinct and different. We're supposed to massage submissiveness and obedience into our rebellious souls so that we are distinctly different from the others in this town. So yes, we live quiet lives and there's no suspicion about the Christians because the Christians are the best citizens in their town, even if they're led by buffoons at times. They're just complex circumstances. My perspective is very narrow. I get that. Our offices... 448A, if you know anything of our journey, you know we've had this titanic battle, feels titanic at times, probably not, with the health and safety executive. We spoke with them in the autumn term. The health and safety have told us, executive have told us about the offices, they are 100% safe. There's no concerns at all. They store, store 150, they've got a license to store 150 tanks of LPG gas on that site, which feels like a lot if it goes up. I'm told if it goes up, it will take out the south of Reading. We're all in trouble. But it is so safe, we do not need to plug into any of their systems on the site to give us an early warning there might be an issue. There is no concern. The HSE are emphatic that that is the case. Emphatic. I also said in the very same meeting that they will always oppose us changing that building into a place where a church can gather because if it goes up, it would be devastating. 
So they've told us two contradictory things that are now stopping us as the people of God of opening that building up as a warm space, of running a food bank or other such mercy ministries into the south of Reading. Even though Reading Borough Council utterly agree with us and have stood with us in two planning environments, they've told us two very conflicting things. What are we going to do? We are going to be submissive and obedient because it's an act of faith in the living God who will justify and vindicate us. And so we will willingly do everything that we can do within the planning restrictions on that site. We will do planning, uh, we will do training, and we will do church administration as all people do in offices. Many offices now have prayer spaces. That is an appropriate thing that people can use. We have now set up a prayer room in our offices because we can do that. Our offices can now have a crash area in there. So we now run our, our Rainbows Toddler Group to do that. We were alerted to that by Reading Borough Council, who still would like to support our application change it, as I understand it. But we are not going to speak evil about the health and safety executive. And we're going to avoid foolish quarrels with them. We're going to be submissive and obedient. And that is an act of faith. God will vindicate us and open up something else we can do to bring mercy and compassion and justice to the town of Reading as we should. But it's worth reminding ourselves that we're called to be ready for every good work, not every bad work of the government or local government. Our allegiance is to God, and that will trump our submission to the state. If our allegiance to God comes into collision with submission to the state, well, the government, it's our allegiance to God, isn't it, that will take precedence. So hence the Apostle Peter can say in Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than men. And we will be prepared to suffer the consequences of that. Please make sure you're clear, whilst we're being submissive and obedient to the government, we are super clear of where our primary allegiance is, and we will be obedient to God rather than to men. And we will suffer the consequences in faith in Jesus. You up for that? You up for that? You're very serious this morning. I guess it's a heavy text, isn't it? Come on. We're making disciples of Jesus. We're going to remind them, be submissive and obedient. And we're going to be ready for every good work. We're going to be ready to serve our local communities whenever we have the opportunity. And this is tricky, really, because serving the local community is this weird concept for many of us. Because um, if you're a do-gooder like Ned Flanders and you want to serve your local community, you're often uh, thought badly of in a weird way. However, serving your community is also something that like, you do when you're punished. So you could be served if you rob from someone you could be served with an 80-hour community service order, meaning if you serve the community, that's a punishment. And so we've got this weird thing that's going on that we need to be clear that we're going to be quick for every good work, and we need to be clear that serving is something that brings honor and is a good thing to do, and also recognizing that well, in terms of our readiness to be ready to do every good work, that we are a work in process, progress. What I mean by this is, when we hear of serving opportunities, the truth of the matter is, for all of us, myself included, our selfishness often kicks in. 
When we hear of a need in our community, even our church community, but certainly external to our church, we often think to ourselves, why should I do that? Let someone else do that, not me. And our selfishness condemns us to a life of boredom, not joy. See, we all need to be reminded that true life is found in serving others. I I, I want you to know that. True life is not going to be found through undirecting scrolling of Netflix or YouTube or Instagram. True life is not found in boredom that drives you into that. True life will be found in serving. And we need to be ready to do every good work. So if you're bored at home or during the week, isn't it better either to serve your household or your community rather than just scrolling and killing half an hour? Just do the washing up, do the hoovering. Pick up the litter outside your house. Offer to cut your neighbor's garden. Something like that. Be ready. Are you going to be ready? Have you set up your Be Ready accounts yet? Flick up the uh, Be Ready accounts. So this week, British Gas on Wednesday dropped in 67 quid. On Thursday, I was able to give in to the Catalyst Fund because I was ready. The money came in. The money went out. We want to be ready for every good work. If you haven't already, take a photograph of that and just ask God. Even this afternoon, are you, none of you have got your cameras out. Have you all got this? This is the one time I'm encouraging you. Be ready. Come on. There's families out there. There's Christians out there. This money will get sent, I expect, to Christians or partners in Syria who are going to bring resources when they finally able to buy it to people we don't yet know, but our money can do that. We pray and we give and we serve as best we are able. So I want to remind them, first of all, to be submissive and obedient, ready for every good work, and remind them that churches be different. Paul's intent is that these newly planted churches in Crete, these churches are supposed to be markedly different from the communities they serve. Now Paul's been to Crete. He's met, lived with, eaten with Cretans. He knows their reputation. He knows their poets said they're lies, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. But he said, you're supposed to be different. You are to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Speak evil of no one, show courtesy to all. There's something about us and our interactions with the communities around us We're to demonstrate the multifaceted wisdom of God through us. How we relate to one another. How we relate to the town around us. And this is driven by the gospel being outworked, being massaged into our life. That Jesus came, he lived his life, not just as an example, but as a preparation to die in our place. That he was our substitute, that through his death and then his resurrection and now his ascension into heaven, and that he is returning and will judge the living and the dead 
and bring justice and make pronouncements over circumstances so they're fully just and full of mercy and compassion. We can trust that judgment that is going to happen even if we can't get it sorted now. When we understand how much we have been forgiven and therefore the demand that we should forgive others... This gospel should be shaping how we as a community relate not just to the town around us, but also to one another. Friends, we've got to get much better at mining the gospel, of preaching the gospel to ourselves every day so that we're distinctly different to those around us. When I talk about mining the gospel, I have this picture in my mind of going down into a dark place where there's not much light and I've just got a little head torch on and I'm working hard on a seam of gold or a seam that's producing diamonds. You've got to work hard until you've, in that seam, pulled out something that when you receive that, that sense of wholeness and well-being that comes, you think, I've got enough here to resources now in my hand to carry me for the next few days, if not weeks. So when I talk about mining the gospel, I'm, I'm getting into the good news of Jesus Christ. Even though it feels like a dark place all around me, it feels like I'm working really hard, but I've received a truth of, of eternal living, of, of who Jesus is, of who I now am in, in Christ, that it's helping me have a sense of wholeness and well-being as I relate to the people around me who actually I want to badmouth or I feel are handling me badly or I want to hold on to unforgiveness in my own life. That's what I'm talking about, mining the gospel. Our church has been going for 23 years of meeting in a home and now 21 years of meeting on a Sunday and through all of that time we've never had a church split but I'll be honest with you we've had many disagreements over those 23 years and some of those disagreements have been heated and we have had relational difficulties throughout that period of time. But there's somehow, because of our grasp of the gospel and following Jesus' teaching, we're able to get through on that, to be markedly different. No splits, but many disagreements and relational difficulties. Well, why is that? Because we're contending for a good grasp of God's grace, not just a, a grasp of it, but an understanding of why we need it. That we understand that all of us are on a journey following Jesus. And we will continue to see things differently. That that is life. That we are going to disappoint and hurt each other. The fact is, I am going to disappoint you if I haven't already. And you are going to disappoint me if you haven't already. Because that is life, isn't it? I'm disappointed by, I disappoint and upset Liz and she disappoints and upsets me because we love and care for each other, we're involved in each other's life. I'm very rarely upset by the person who serves me in Asda because to be honest, even if they don't do a good job, I just forget about them and I'm done with them. I haven't set my love upon that person. But in the church family, we're supposed to care for one another and church family life is messy There's lots of differing agendas. And there's often times when we don't get our own way for the greater good. But because we have been forgiven much, we are able to sort much out before God on our own. 
because of God's love and Christ's death, you are able to forgive me and I am able to forgive you. And most of the relational bumps of church life get sorted. If you remember, one of the reasons we're going through Titus is to remind all of us about what it means to be a member of our church. And this whole understanding that as we do church family life, we are going to bump into each other. We're going to disappoint one another. And when we do that, first of all, we mind the gospel and remind ourselves how much we've been forgiven so we're able to forgive others so that actually most of this disappointment can be dealt with between us alone and God. But sometimes, sometimes you do all of that and you think, I've still got some grit in my soul with that person. Do you know what? I'm still pretty cross. I can't put this to bed. You've then got to follow through Matthew 18. You see, the Bible does say it's for a man's glory, a woman's glory to overlook an offense. But sometimes you've just got to show someone, say, can I just show you your sin? I'm going to leave my gift at the altar. I'm going to go and find you and just say, look, I love you. I've forgiven you. You've just hurt me. Well, sometimes you think, I'm still cross. I need to go and see them. And you've got to meet them face to face. It's Matthew 18. And often, most times I've observed it over the last 23 years, when you go and find someone, when people come and find me and say, Sean, I felt really hurt the way you overlooked me. You, or you, what you said to me, it just pained me. It doesn't happen all the time, but it has happened in 22 years. Don't get all self-righteous and judgy. <laughs> in those moments... Most times I'm horrified and they're there in front of me because they love me and they're committed to our relationship and they want to see me on a Sunday and not have a, a lump in their stomach. You know what I mean? Ugh. And they've, they've shown up and I often, most times, I, I just, you're so right. I, I, I'm so sorry. I can see how you've, that has offended you. Please forgive me. And we're reconciled and it's done. A few times though, I have observed in that moment, it doesn't always go well. Because either that person's felt ambushed, so one person was really ready and the other person wasn't, or there's still pain, or it's way more complex than that first person thought, and they get a bit stuck. And so what Jesus said we're to do in Matthew 18 is that we should get two or three other people who are wise, mature, clearly not like Camp Sean or Camp others. I'm just doing it on me so that you feel okay. And then in that sort of, the, what can be established is by two or three people. All the time looking for Reconciliation. And just being open and true. That almost always works when you get other people involved. Because what you're trying to do is look for reconciliation. Once or twice in the life of our church, in 22 years, that hasn't been able to resolve it. Even when the elders have gotten involved. And we've had to put people out of membership. Always with a hope of restoring them. Saying, look, the way that you're living, your desire to not change or not to seek forgiveness. Or not to change what you're doing. You're behaving as someone who's not following Jesus. We're going to put you out of membership of this church. And that's a grace gift to, to alert to your attention as if we're shouting out to you as loud as we can as you go over the, the waterfall because you refuse to listen and swim to the shore because you don't acknowledge the data. We're calling out to you. Please change your ways. Listen to us. We love you. We want you restored and back with us. Once or twice in the entire life of our church. But it will happen because we're all sinful, broken people living in a very complex world. And so we need to remind ourselves that it's important to follow Matthew 18 so that we don't speak evil of people, that we avoid quarrels. Now, a quarrel is when you have a heated debate about something actually is quite trivial. When you see the destruction in Turkey and Syria, most disputes feel quite trivial right now. 
But, but, so we must avoid quarrels. It doesn't say avoid disagreements, but foolish quarrels or quarreling. We, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. And when we do that, this church will be distinctly different to those around us. You see, here we preach the gospel to ourselves. We're committed to good relationships. We're happy to disagree, but we're not going to quarrel. We are going to forgive others as much as I have been forgiven. And where possible, we're going to talk to people face to face, desiring good relationships. And we're going to keep pressing on when it's really, really hard. And everything in you wants to hide and run away. I'm so sad when people just leave the church rather than sort stuff out. It's really hard sorting stuff out. It's way easier to leave. But you're no different to the town of Reading if you do that. You're no different to your colleagues in the workplace if you do that. Staying in the room and applying the gospel through the pain, even if it looks like it's going to be a drawn out, is our mandate. That's how we're distinctly different. And we are going to endeavor as best we're able not to speak, to speak evil of no one. And as best we're able to have meekness, to show strength under control, to show perfect courtesy to everyone. You see, the church is to be different in how she treats people. We don't get it right all the time, but the gospel compels us to go again when we fall short, when we fail. And when we do this internally, just as what's in the heart, the mouth speaks, when we work that out internally, it will work out of us to how we deal with the town of Reading. Titus said this, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, heated debates about trivial things, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Essentially, we've got to keep turning our gaze to Jesus so that we are distinctly different. William Barclay, uh, I read this. It just captured my imagination. He said this, the welfare of any community depends upon the Christians within it demonstrating Christian citizenship. I found that a really profound thing to chew over. Just chewing that over any community, its welfare depends upon the Christians within it demonstrating Christian citizenship. Being submissive, being obedient, speaking evil of no one, not quarreling, being gentle, as best we're able, expressing perfect Christ-like courtesy to all those around us. Are you up for that? If someone from the band can come back, I'm aware that as soon as we talk about relational conflict in the church and how the church is to be different, to be viewed distinctly different, that creates pain. Because you're either you're carrying on forgiveness or someone won't forgive you. You're estranged from someone. And I don't want a long queue of people who are cross with me at the end of this. That's just not helpful for me. <laughs> Try and sort it out between you and God. <laughs> if not, choose your moment for me, okay?
I'm, I'm just trying to take the heat off you, but you need to feel the weight of this. We need to feel the weight of this. We're supposed to be distinctly different. Excellent citizens in the town of Reading. That's our calling. But if you're able to, could you stand? My father uh, was an Irish immigrant, came over in the 50s. He's dead now. One of my earliest memories of him is in our sofa. He'd be listening to his Irish Republican songs on his LP album, smoking, drinking hard liquor, sense of hopelessness at how he would say how badly the British government dealt with him. I was uh, some an Irish kid in those days. It was the English, Irish and Scots jokes. The Irish were always the butt as the thick ones. If you were English, you'll know that. So my dad was stupid. He felt he'd be badly wronged by the Irish, uh, by the English government. And they were badly. If you look at Southern Ireland, there's a reason there's fighting now. And there, but there was a hopeless despair of my dad as I see him smoking away, getting drunk, listening to these rebel songs that he esteemed so highly as an immigrant in a foreign land. It's, recently, I sat with another couple out of Africa, uh, listening to the pain that's caused them because of the color of their skin, the lack of opportunities they felt there because of the color of their skin and the maturity that they spoke about it. They didn't speak any evil. They were avoiding quarrels. They were so inspiring, their gentleness, as they talked about how, how they felt because of the color of their skin. And the maturity of Christ, the contrast between my father, who's now dead, and I honor him and his, acknowledge his pain, and this glorious couple in our church family mining the gospel we want that for all of you to be like the couple in our church real pain just for the color of their skin Holy Spirit we stand here in a complex world and often we're part of the problem it's our selfishness it's our brokenness it's our history that was past us and we had no choice of. I want to pray now. Come Holy Spirit, lift up heads that have dropped to see the glory of Christ. Holy Spirit, help me to mind the gospel even now. To mind the gospel, to see hope of the vindication that is coming where justice and mercy and compassion is perfectly outworked on that great day of the coming of the Lord. But until that day, I pray for grace upon us, we're distinctly different. We'd be model Christian citizens, speaking evil of none, avoiding foolish quarrels, gentle to all, perfect courtesy to all those around us. Please, O oh God, let grace abound. Pray for healing even now, hope. Hope now, healing, grace, a jewel of the gospel to drop into your hands even now. We've been mining away, you're tired, it's dark. A jewel of the gospel to fall into hand, your hand, a truth, a reality. That creates a wellness in your soul. There's a resource, something to trust in there, a truth of the gospel. 
Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Minister to us now. The gospel stirring our souls. 